the 25th of March, 2009, episode 108. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. In today's podcast, I just wanted to do kind of a wrap of my latest speaking engagement that I was talking about last time, kind of give a broad overview of what went on at that thing, some of the questions that came up from the the people that were there, and also uh, talk a little bit about getting up and talking in front of people, which is something that I found that I'm a little bit rusty at, and uh, you might have... uh, incurred some of the same problems that I did, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, and uh, that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, First, let me start off by thanking everybody for tuning in. As always, uh, I appreciate you guys coming and listening and uh, subscribing if that's what you do, or just downloading the shows and listening, and uh, all the support. I've I've been getting lots of emails from people with... uh, very supportive messages, and I really appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, I know sometimes it takes me a long time to get back to those of you who email, but I do try and answer as many of those as I can. Uh, Sometimes it's like three months later, but uh, I still try and do it. But I really appreciate all the encouragement and the stories about how the show helps you out and all that kind of stuff. It really makes it, it makes it hard for me to quit, as you've noticed over the last, I don't know, half a year. Um, I also have received a couple of emails. I I got one from uh, one person in particular with an audio message, an audio question, basically, that's going to be on the next podcast. So I thank him for that, and we'll get into that next time. But if you do have a question, you have something that you'd like to bring up as a topic on the podcast, please send it to me. If you have the capabilities of recording some audio and you want to do that, then go ahead and send that to me for sure. Uh, If not, just shoot me an email. You can email me at rdpodcast at gmail.com. That's rd as in rookie designer podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also go to the forum at rookiedesigner.com slash forum and put some topics, questions, anything up there as well. Um, and hopefully I'll get to it that way. I'm not on the forum a whole lot these days, but I do get to it, get around to it eventually. So um, if that's the route you want to go, you can post it up there. And definitely if you have a question, uh, the forum is a great place to go because there's a bunch of people up there that might be able to answer your question even better than me. So um, I guess those are the couple of things uh, other than the fact that this podcast is being brought to you by GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting gives you a way to do more and spend less. And this is because you can actually set up a meeting and share your screen with whoever joins the meeting. They're going to join it through their web browser. That means they don't have to pay the travel costs, uh, the hotel, the flights, the rental cars to come to where you are and meet you face to face. If they live like halfway around the world, uh, this is just a better, it's an easier, more efficient way to do it these days. And, uh, you know, the way the economy is going, a lot of companies are cutting back on travel costs anyways. So it's a great way to be able to not only speak to the person during your meeting, but I'll also show them what's going on on your computer so they can get a better idea of what's going on. So uh, if you want to try this out, you can try the software for free for 30 days. You just need to go to this URL, gotomeeting.com slash techpodcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash techpodcasts. And you fill out a little form there and you can download and try the software for 30 days. And 
Much like the software, you actually pay one flat rate and meet as many times as you need to. When you download the free version, the trial version, you have 30 days to set up as many meetings and check out all the features and do all that as you want. So go check it out. Uh, that's go to meeting. So as I said in one of the last, actually the last couple of podcasts that I put up, I was actually asked to do a speaking, little speaking engagement thing at San Diego State University. And this was for their, the local chapter of the AIGA. And uh, it was one of the guys that's uh, going to apologize to him right now because I, I forget what his title was, but he had some title uh, in trying to bring, basically trying to bring people into the AIGA. Uh, that are students there at SDSU. So these are like little events that they do. I guess they do try and do, you know, one a semester or two a semester. They'll have people come in and speak to the group or they'll go out and do something like uh, tour a tour a facility or something like that. Um, but it's something that they do to try and get people interested and try and get them to join the AIGA. Now, a couple of things from this. First of all, um, by my doing this, I also have, we had an agreement that, that this particular person was going to do an interview with me. And one of the things that people have asked about in the past is, what's so great about AIGA? Why should I join? What are the benefits that I'm going to get? So this is, the, this is what the information is that I'm going to get from this person. And that's going to become a show later on down the road, uh, whenever we get a chance to get together again and do that interview. But... Um, Basically, this was an opportunity for me to, you know, kind of get out there and speak in front of people again. Um, but for this group, it was it was kind of a way for them to be introduced to jobs that you might really not talk about in college too much. And I think the, one of the main reasons he wanted me to come was to talk about my my daytime job, which is my in-house job. Um, because you don't talk a whole lot about that in college, you you kind of get in this mode, or they put you in in kind of groupings, and they and they try to simulate actually working for an agency where you're working on several different projects that could be for different clients, could be in different industries. Uh, they're not going to set you up with the thinking that you're working for one particular client all the time, and you're doing everything for them, and everything's kind of the same because. Um, frankly, that's, it's not the best way to learn. The best way to learn is to expose you to as many different things as they can. So generally, you're going to be working in, in what seems more like an agency style of, uh, of working environment. So uh, I was asked to come speak to this group about, uh, one, working in-house and what that entails, what's it like, what's expected of you, and how does that kind of differ from you know an agency or what they know of an agency, which is what they've gotten from school. And also talk about freelancing, which is something, again, that you're not really going to get training for that in college. I mean, you get you get training on the design part and how to do your job. But again, freelancing is more than just design. As we know, it's all the business aspects. It's dealing with clients. So it's like customer service and things like that as well. So he wanted me to talk to them about that too, because again, people don't know a whole lot about it unless they've gone out there and tried it, which... Some of the students I found had actually done that. They had been freelancing. And if there are students out there listening to this, uh, I think it's a good idea. Um, you might want to start small. Maybe you just work, do some jobs for friends or family or something like that. But um, just getting yourself acclimated to dealing with you know somebody else who's pretty much the, the manager of the project. I mean, you try and guide them certain ways, but... It, 
ultimately they have the final say on what happens with the project. So you're having to deal with that person. Um, if you can go so far as to, you know, start picking up jobs and, and working with contracts and, and working with deadlines and working with uh, revisions, then you're really getting that good and that good, um, experience that is really going to help you grow as a designer, not only as a designer, but also as a business person. And uh, those are invaluable lessons that, you know, if you get a jump start on those things, it's only going to be good for you. So um, I went down to San Diego State, and I tell you, the, the I think the thing I really learned at this whole speaking engagement thing is that I need some work in my speaking in front of people skills. <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I took, you know, everybody has to take the little speech class. It makes you get up, I don't know, like five, six, seven times in front of the class and, you know, create a different kind of speech, whether it be impromptu or something that's uh, prepared. Um, but it gets you used to, you know, speaking in front of people, which is something as a designer, you might have to do it. You most likely have to do. Uh, if you're working in any, any kind of group or if you have to go present something to maybe the marketing department or, you know, the rest of the company, then you're going to have to get up and speak in front of people. And it's not always the same. I mean, if you're presenting something, it's a little easier than getting up and talking about, you know, your life or your career. It's a little different because you have, um, I wouldn't say something to hide behind, but you're showing them a piece of work and you're talking about what you did uh, for that work. So it makes it a little bit easier um, than what I did. But I mean, it's still that thing of being able to get up in front of people and just kind of share openly and not worry about, you know, how you are, how you're, you're coming off to them or how you look or, you know, how, how nerve wracking it might be making you while you're doing it. And, you know, I thought, I, di I didn't think it was going to go super smooth to tell you the truth, because I haven't got up and talked in front of people in quite some time, but, uh, it was a little harder than I thought it was going to be. And I found myself uh, using a couple of crutches. I actually wrote down a little outline for myself, and it wasn't really to read off of. It was more to make sure that I stayed on topic, on point, and talk about the things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, what I found with this was I kind of relied on it as a crutch to keep looking down at it instead of looking up and looking at the people. I also kind of looked around the room a little bit, like up at the ceiling or past the people. Not sure if that was noticeable, but it seemed like something that I probably shouldn't have been doing. Um, fidgeting with your hands or putting your hands in your pockets, that kind of stuff. I don't think I did that too much, um, but all kind of not good things to do while you're standing up in front of people. And um, there was kind of a, a podium to the side. So I ended up standing kind of behind that at times. And I think that was also kind of a nervous reaction. So uh, all in all, I, I would give myself probably a failing grade as far as presenting the information. Uh, I didn't have any visual aids. Uh, really, when you're talking about the things that I was talking about, which again, was just what it's like to work in-house and what it's like to work freelance, there's not too many visual things that I could have showed them that would help explain what I was talking about. It's all just situational. Um, so I didn't really have that to rely on either. Uh, it was just kind of me up there by myself. But uh, hopefully the information that I gave out was, you know, at least relevant or helped them out in some way. And it seemed like some of it did. And, you know, as, as the thing went on, I got a little bit more comfortable. There's certain things, you know, once you start talking about a situation and you're not thinking about, okay, what am I going to talk about next? 
then you start to get a little more comfortable and things a little bit more smooth. But, uh, and also when we got to the end and it was just kind of Q and a session, then I was a lot more relaxed because it's people like telling me, you know, I've, I've, I've said it many times on the podcast. One of the hardest things about making this podcast is figuring out what to talk about. You know, I have to come up with something I think is relevant enough that is important enough that whoever is listening is going to take it and actually learn something from it, take something away, and thus hopefully come back and listen to other shows. So the the easiest thing for me is, you know, if I could have just got up there for an hour and said, okay, what questions do you have for me? And somebody asked something, it would be a lot more comfortable for me to explain that because I know this is exactly what the information that this person wants to hear. And, you know, it'll probably uh, relate to, to things that other people might have asked or might have been wondering about as well. So it's easier for me to, to be relaxed and give that information out rather than, okay, here's what I think you need to know. I'm not really sure if it's relevant or not, or if you're going to you know, be entertained or be educated by it. But this is what I think is, is going to work best. I mean, it's a little bit harder that way. So um, all I can say, though, is as far as presentations go, um, some, of, some of you may have to give them. Some of you may luck out and not really ever have to be in that position to, to have to do that. But um, the best way to get better at it is just to do it. And there are, of course, different ways to do that. I mean, you can just trial by fire and whenever you're asked to do it at work, do it there. Um, you definitely should be getting that at school. I mean, in school, everybody usually has to get up and explain what they did with their project and why they did it and, uh, you know, take the the uh, accolades and criticism that goes with that. Uh, there are also groups out there that you can join. Um, uh, it's the one that I'm thinking of Toastmasters, I think it's called. And it's just a way for you to get used to getting up in front of people and giving speeches. Um, again, not the most pleasant thing to do for a lot of us, but, uh, something that you might need in, you know, at some point in your career. So it's a good thing to think about. Uh, for me, I find it much more comfortable sitting here behind the, uh, behind my computer screen and my, uh, little headset, but you know, at some point, I definitely have entertained the thought of actually teaching in, you know, kind of a seminar style or even teaching at a school. So obviously, that's something I'm going to have to get used to. So again, um, just getting out there and practicing, I think, is the best way to to really get over that fear. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is just nervousness of, you know, what you're doing, what you're going to do, what you're going to look like, how you're going to portray yourself to the audience. And also the, the, the fact that, you know, sometimes there's a lot of people out there listening to you and that's a little more nerve wracking than if you're talking to, you know, a group of five people, it's all just kind of getting over those things and, um, really having faith, uh, having a belief in what you're talking about. You know, one of the things for a podcast to be successful is for you to be you know, very into what you're talking about, which is why I think this one has really succeeded. And and I say succeeded because we've been around for a couple of years and many of them have come and gone in that time. Um, But also, you know, it's, it just shows your enthusiasm. and, And if you're excited about something, it's going to show that much more when you're talking about it rather than it just kind of being some bland thing that nobody really wants to listen to because even the person talking about it doesn't seem interested in it. So, um, 
you know, that, that aspect is going to help as well. But also, like I said, when you're presenting a piece of work, if you don't know the things that you should be talking about while you're presenting that, then you must not have done a very good job or you're not the person that worked on the project while it was being put together because you should know, you know, basic reasons why you did things a certain way and how you did them and how it's going to uh, affect the audience that it's intended for. These are things that you should know. So it should be pretty easy for you to relay that information to whoever it is you're having to present it to. Anyway, so back to the presentation that I was giving, I, like I said, I kind of talked about, I started off with um, how I got into design, what interested me, um, how I got into it, how, you know, going down to my school and learning a little bit more about it, because I always think, always think it's a good thing for people to understand a, how people who are designers got interested in it in the first place, because it helps you kind of relate to, you know, you, you might say, Oh, I had a similar experience, you know, and that's how I knew that I wanted to do design. Uh, also how they started, how they started meaning, you know, did they go to school? Did they train themselves? Uh, if they went to a school, what kind of school was it? How did they get into there? So I talked about, you know, I didn't really know all that much about what graphic design really entailed, like what I was going to have to be learning to be able to do it uh, until I went down to my school and they kind of educated me a little bit more about what would be taught, what I'd be learning, and what I'd be able to accomplish after that. I also think it's important to... Um, kind of relay the fact that uh, what 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 happened in my first job, which just so happens that it's the same job I'm in now, basically, uh, I did get a promotion uh, to a different job. And that's when I started doing web design. But, you know, for all, interns, all intents and purposes, this is my first job. And I, I told them how I actually kind of lucked into the job. I w wasn't actually hired there for graphic design. Uh, I kind of showed that I had those skills and ended up being promoted into a position of, of graphic designer and how I kind of evolved and talked a little bit about working with marketing and uh, kind of shoring up that relationship because it was a rocky one at first. And, and many times it is when you start working with uh, people with different personalities and different tastes, um, things aren't always going to go all that smoothly. And especially when they don't really know that much about what you're doing or how you do it, uh, things can tend to get a little... Uh, a little sticky. So I talked a little bit about, you know, working relationships, which is something that everybody's going to have to deal with at some point, um, working with somebody else and trying to work through your differences and instead of just butting heads all the time. Uh, I talked a little bit about moving from print to web, which I did a whole podcast about on here. And um, actually got a question that, that was uh, kind of pertaining to this particular topic at the end. And uh, one lady was asking, you know, how do I actually get into web design? Uh, I'm learning print stuff right now, but how do I actually get into that? And um, I didn't really know how to answer that question, to be honest. I said, you know, if anybody thinks that because they know print design that they can just automatically switch over to web, I said that is definitely not a, w a good way of thinking about things because it is not true. And if you go back and listen to that podcast about me making the switch, uh, I'm pretty sure, I don't remember what, what all was said, but I'm pretty sure that I said at least a couple of times that it was not a pleasant switch. Uh, it's not something that's, you know, if you can do A, then you can do B. It certainly is not that way. There's a lot of different rules. Things work in almost the completely opposite way of how you do things for print. And there's a lot more variables, you know, 
just like there's variables when you go to print something of how something's going to actually turn out looking, there's a lot of different variables for web design as well. And a lot of probably a million different ways to do things. So um, I gave my best answer to this lady, which was um, just learn as much as you can. Um, it, it turns out, uh, from what I heard anyways, at San Diego State, they they kind of are heavy on the print, or if you go in a multimedia direction, they, they're heavy on that. But there wasn't really a whole lot for web design in terms of classes. Uh, this is what I was told anyways. And I thought that was kind of weird. And it kind of explained the difference between a designer, I guess a web designer, as opposed to a web developer. Because I find that, you know, few and far between are people who are kind of in, in the middle of those two. It's usually either a programmer or a developer who's building a website. And many times it's not going to look as slick as some of the others, but it's going to have all those bells and whistles because they know how to program things to, you know, interact with the user a lot better. Whereas a web designer is usually that person who does more of a brochure style website where it's going to look really good. All the images, everything's going to look real slick, but the back end of that or the coding for that might not be done you know, exactly the way that it's supposed to be done because they don't necessarily know all the rules. They they may have come from a print background, so they know how to make things look good. They know how to set up a page um, so that it looks nice and it functions well, but they're not going to know all the, you know, the JavaScripts and, you know, all the things that are going to make things interact with the user and make uh, for a better experience. So it's really, it's not always easy to find somebody who's in the middle of those two people who has really that artistic side, but also has kind of that nerdy side where they can get into the coding and they can really learn some of that stuff. So that's the biggest challenge, I think, but really just getting in classes and, you know, if they don't offer classes at the college that you're at, maybe you can find them elsewhere. There's uh, training everywhere you look these days. And also, if you're the type of person that can learn out of books, there's tons and tons of good books out there that will show you how to do things. And then, of course, I always, uh, I'm always a big proponent of lynda.com. And that is L-Y-N-D-A.com. And, and basically, it's a site that shows you not only how to use software, but also, you know, in showing you how to use the software, they actually accomplish tasks and show you how to do things. So if you're taking like a Dreamweaver video course from them, then it's it's them building some kind of functionality, some kind of website or something. So at the same time, you can learn how to do that. And a good thing about lynda.com, uh, I actually don't do it myself. I just get the package where I get to watch the videos and see what they're doing. But there also is a package you can buy where they have all the source files that they use. So you can download those and, and really kind of pick it apart. And that way you can go into the files and see exactly how everything works. And uh, if you need that, that's a great way to, to learn as well. So basically, um, I, I just said, you know, find the education where you can and then practice you know, practice makes perfect. So you're going to go out and, you know, make a couple websites for yourself first, try things out and uh, see how it all turns out. And the more you do it, the more practice you're getting, the more issues you're going to run into and have to fix or new solutions you're going to have to find to get around hurdles that you might uh, come upon. It's going to make you a better designer and you'll get better at web design. Um, you know, it's it's best to, to start off, you know, if you are just starting off with that kind of stuff, best to start off doing stuff for yourself or friends or family or doing something for free maybe because, you know, maybe you're not so good at it yet and you don't want to be charging somebody, you know, some crazy amount of money to do something and when you don't really know how to do it that well. So I would say be careful when you're doing that. You don't want to just jump into something that you don't really know how to do yet. But, I mean, 
the only way that you're going to get better at doing something like this is by practicing it and then, you know, keep learning as you're, as you're working on your skills there. So that was one of the questions that I got that I thought was kind of open-ended and, you know, there's, it's not really a great way to answer it, but that was, that was my best answer to that one. Where was I? Uh, so I was talking about uh, me making the switch from print to web and, you know, just talking about some of the things that are expected of me now. The fact that I actually moved to this web design position, yet I'm still asked to do a lot of the print material for marketing and, and things of that nature that I did in the first place. So I basically just added a, another task, another main task to to what I do and still had to deal with all the other stuff as well. But just talking about, you know, working for that same company all the time, I mean, it's it's much, much different, obviously, when you're working for the same company, you're, you're always going to have that same kind of uh, way of doing things. Uh, my company is kind of more on the, I guess, professional side, or they want things to look very clean and professional. We don't get to do lots of, lots of artsy types of things or, you know, things that, that might be considered a little more risque or or a little more progressive, I guess you might say. Don't really get to experiment with that kind of stuff too much because of the employer that I work for. Whereas if I was in uh, an agency setting, you might once in a while come upon a client that wants that kind of thing. So you have a little more flexibility that way. And also I talked about uh, something that's definitely come up on the show before, which is kind of the modern designer, what people want the modern designer to be. And that is kind of a jack of all trades. They would like you to be able to do print design and maybe also know some HTML. And if you know Flash, that's great too. And, and so on and so on. They want you to know as many different things as you can. So they don't have to hire a whole design team or they don't have to go out and get an agency. They can rely on you to do multiple things like, you know, at least keep updates on their website or, you know, be able to make things look a little bit better on their website as well as, you know, make their catalogs or whatever. So you're going to find out there a lot of jobs that are like this these days. It doesn't mean that there there aren't any specialized jobs left out there still because there certainly are. But, you know, if you have the ability to to kind of learn some of these skills, I think it's going to make yourself a lot more marketable when you get out there and start looking for a job because there are a lot of people now these days that are looking for you know, maybe being able to bring in one person that can do multiple jobs, wear multiple hats and, and get all these things done so that they don't have to send out, you know, they don't have to get contractors to do, you know, if they're going to do some video then they got to get a contractor to do the video because all you do is print. They want you to be able to kind of jump into different areas and, and do all that stuff. And that, that's really where my school helped me out because my school was all about, Let's learn, let's teach you a little bit of everything. You might not be an expert in one certain thing, but you're going to know a lot of different things. You're going to be able to do a lot of different things, and that's going to help you get a job kind of like the ones that I'm talking about here. Whereas, you know, if I was in a print, you know, if if I was in some uh, some kind of program where it was all based in print and I became an expert and I knew pretty much everything there was to know about print, then those were the kind of jobs that I would have to be going for. I wouldn't be going for these jobs that also want me to know some web. Um, then I moved on to freelancing and talked about pretty much the the things I harp on all the time on this show, which is A, using a contract. And if you're not using a contract and you're doing freelance, then you're really just 
you're just waiting to screw yourself over basically. So you want to use a contract to make sure that you guys are on the same page of how much work is going to be done and how much you're going to be paid for that work that is done. Uh, a couple of things that go with that, um, getting the, the upfront money or the deposit on the project, which I go some, sometimes have gone as high as 50% of the total cost of the project. Um, you might want might, might not want to go as high as 50% sometimes because that'll probably scare some people away. But if somebody absolutely refuses to pay a deposit on the project, then I would be a little leery of that person. Um, the deposit is simply so that, you know, if they decide, if something goes wrong and they disappear, they don't want to pay you anymore. Or if they totally hate the project or the way that it's going and they want to just ditch you, then that's a point where you actually save yourself a little bit. You know, you've already done some of the work and here you actually have some money to show for that. Uh, a couple of questions for this one. Uh, I also talked a little bit about um, setting your prices, setting your rates or whatever. And that's also, I said, you know, some of the biggest questions to ever come up are always, you know, how much do I charge? And uh, how do I come to that number? So I talked about that a little bit. I've talked about that on this show as well. I, I hate talking about that because everybody... You know, it, it's such a, a dicey situation that it's really going to be different for everyone. You have to come up with your own cost. You can't just say, well, I know this designer over here is charging X amount of dollars per hour, and I'm about, you know, half as good as that person, so maybe I'll charge like half as much as they do. You, do, you really just need to figure out how much money you want to make, realistically, uh, how much, how many hours you're planning on putting into it and what kind of equipment you need to, to actually get that done. And you, you can kind of come to an hourly rate from that. And, uh, that's kind of the best way that I explained it. Um, kind of jumping all over, all around here. So I'm not really sure where I was, but basically I, I gave them that bit of information. Uh, I was talking about the contract and other things that go along with it. Uh, the other thing I talked about was uh, actually getting the client to sign off at certain stages in the project. And, and I know I've talked about this before, but pretty important stuff because the last thing you want to, to happen is to get too far down the road and have them say, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't the right direction. This, this isn't where we're supposed to be at this point. So find stopping points in your projects. Um, put something together, print it out, or, you know, put something up on a website for the client to check out and get their signature, get them to actually sign some kind of little piece of paper that says, uh, I check this on this date. Uh, it was this proof. You know, if it's something that's printed out, obviously you can put it on the proof. Uh, if it's something that's, uh, a website, maybe you keep, you know, different websites at, at the different stages so that you can refer back to that and say, this is where we were. You signed this piece of paper saying you thought we were going in the right direction. So how could we possibly be in the wrong direction now? And uh, that will that will help you immensely to not have to do things over and over again. You, you never want to get almost done with something and have somebody say, no, we need to start over again because this isn't going the right way. It's not going the way that I wanted it to. And you're going to avoid that by having them sign off and say at different points, yes, we're going in the right direction. So at least you can go back to that last revision and just start from there. Uh, a couple of questions came from this. And actually going back to the whole thing about deposits, somebody actually asked if I had any experience with um, kind of a, a termination of project charge. And I actually don't, I've never had to do this. 
Um, but sometimes in the contract, you'll have something that says, you know, if you get to a certain point and you're just not seeing eye to eye and you just want to cancel the project, that there's a certain charge for that. And that would be a charge for however much work you've done so far. I've actually never had to do this. Most of my projects, um, knock on wood, have gone through to uh, to the end phases and and nothing's gone wrong. Um, I always get the deposit up front though. So that's kind of my way of saving saving myself for the work that I've already done on the project if something does happen. Uh, I'm currently in a project right now that started uh, probably a year ago. And it always it was always kind of off and on, and I haven't heard from the clients in probably three four months. So, um, if that person ever gets back to me, and I was the last one to email, which is kind of makes me feel okay about the situation because I was the last one to email and say, okay, um, here's where we're at. Where do we go from here? And I never heard back from the person. So if they call me back, I did get a deposit from this person and we will continue to work until the project is finished. But, you know, if they don't contact me, I have no way of doing anything else, which is kind of sad because not much of the project got done and uh, I still haven't heard from them. But um, I did get paid for pretty much the work that I did because I got that deposit up front. So that's my way of dealing with that. Uh, you, you absolutely can put something in the contract that says, you know, if you for any reason need to terminate this project and, and we're not going to finish it, meaning I'm not going to get the paycheck at the end, then you're going to incur charges. And that's pretty much going to be however many hours I spent on the project already. It's definitely, definitely a way to go about things if you want to do it that way. Another question about freelancing. What was it? Oh yeah, uh, it's about revisions. And somebody asked me if, you know, when you write up a contract, do you ever put in, you know, a certain, uh, like a limit on the revisions that you'll make? And I said, well, I don't really do it that way. I, I, end up work, I ended up working mostly on either, you know, pretty simple print projects, like flyers, stuff like that, or on websites. So those couple of things really don't have that much to do with, with what's going on here with the revisions. Uh, of course, a flyer could have several revisions, but uh, the way things worked out, I, I don't think... I mean, it's the, the place that I see this the most is when people are working on logos. And this is, I think it's pretty standard practice, practice for people who create logos, is to say, okay, you're going to get three major revisions and then at that point, if you want more revisions or major revisions, which means that you're pretty much starting from scratch again and making a whole new logo or or at least changing, you know, 50 to 75 percent of something we've already made, then you're going to start to incur charges because I gave you three chances to try and get that logo the way you wanted it. After that, you're going to start paying for it. And of course, you know, once you do those three, you can always do tweaks to it and stuff like that. And that's not going to cost you extra, but we're talking like major revisions. Like I have to go back and spend hours and hours on this thing again. So that's, I think that's pretty standard for people who make logos. And I think it really uh, has a lot more to do with that because you're creating, you know, one kind of symbol thing uh, for their company. And it's kind of a, you know, start from scratch type of thing every time, you know, if they don't like what you've done, then you have to come up with a new idea. Uh, of course, this can apply to things like flyers or print projects, things like that, but I think it just works in kind of a little bit different way. So um, I've actually never used that, but again, it's something that if you think you need that in your contract, then you should be putting it in there. And it's uh, all a contract is, is you 
and the client agreeing on what's going to happen while you're working together on the project. So, uh, yeah, definitely. If you think that's something that you should put in there, then you should definitely put it in. So overall, I hope the uh, presentation went pretty well. I think it did. I think at least the information that was getting out there was good for, for the people there to hear. Um, it's kind of weird because I sit here and I talk to you guys, kind of. You know, I record things and you listen to it. It's not necessarily like talking to you guys. But, um, and, and I kind of assume that, that people know certain things and don't know certain things, but it's it's a whole different story when you're actually put face to face with these people and, you know, interacting with people who are in school and who, you know, I forget sometimes the things that I didn't know when I was in school, the things that I had to learn by actually getting out in the workforce and just learning them by, you know, trial and error. And there's a lot of stuff like that. And that's, that was kind of the point of me making this podcast was to try and help you guys avoid some of that stuff by talking about it. And, uh, I think the, the speaking engagement thing was a good thing for me because, it puts things back in perspective for me of, you know, this is a good thing that I'm doing. Uh, I have to step back a little bit and realize sometimes what people don't know. You know, it might be something that I take for granted. So I just think that, you know, other people might not need to know it. But um, definitely there are a lot of things that I can talk about that I've been through that that can help other people who are just getting out there starting to work. Um, so I think it was it was definitely good for me in that way. It was good for me also, like I said, in, in showing me that I definitely need some practice getting up in front of people and talking. Um, it was kind of the, the bare essentials way of doing it. Like I said, I didn't have any like visual aids or anything like that. It was, it was just me up there talking, but still uh, something I should probably be able to do. And something that I, I, I think would probably benefit me to do a little bit more in the future, actually getting out and talking to uh, actual people instead of talking into my computer screen like I always do. But uh yeah, I think it was a good experience and and definitely I, I think it's something that that might happen in the future a little bit more as well. And it helps me to get good ideas. Now on the on the audience side of things, things that I, I saw from them and you know, not surprising at all, but people seem like they were a little hesitant to ask questions. Um whether it be mostly in front of the group. You know, when I say, does anybody have any questions? And, you know, there's about 20 people, 25 people in the room. Nobody wants to look stupid, right? You don't want to be like that person that, that doesn't know something that maybe other people know. And you really have to get yourself out of that mode. If you want to know something, if there's something you don't know, then just ask it. It doesn't matter who else might know it and think you're stupid for not knowing it. If you don't know something and, and you have a resource, somebody there like your teacher or you know just somebody that comes and speaks to your class, then you need to get those questions out and get them answered. And uh, there's lots of different outlets for that these days. That's why I always say the the forum is a great place to do it because uh, it's a little more private than actually having to raise your hand and ask a question in front of a, a room of full of people. But, you know, get those questions answered while you can, you know, use the resources that are around you. I know I've said that before too. Uh, your teacher, if you're in school, your teacher has vast knowledge. That's why they're there. So make sure you tap into that knowledge and, and get out of it what you need to get out of it. Um, there are other people that uh, come up after I'm done, like when I come come down. And I, I always notice this too. It's funny because I'm always on the other end of it. But when I go to like Photoshop world and once the the class is done with, you'll get a big long line of people that go up to talk to the instructor one-on-one -on -one and maybe ask them some questions that way. And if you're more comfortable doing it that way, that's that's the way you need to do it as well. 
Um, but again, just getting that knowledge out of the people that you can get it from and making sure that you, uh, that you get out of it what you need to get out of it. So anyways, uh, it was a great experience for me. And I thank Shane for asking me to do that. And like I said, I'm actually going to get back with him and we're going to talk a little bit about AIGA um, at some point. <laughs> I've probably been saying that for a while now, but uh, we are going to get that info out to you guys. So you can check out the AIGA if you want to, and maybe figure out, you know, some of the benefits and why it might be a good idea for you to join. And uh, that'll be coming up soon. And then, like I said, I also have a question from uh, one of the listeners that we're going to be taking a look at in the next episode. And um, that kind of deals with freelance type of stuff as well. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that one. And uh, I guess we'll run through the contact info one more time. If you want to ask me any questions or just shoot me a message, it's rdpodcast at gmail.com. That's rd as in rookie designer, rdpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the forum at rookiedesigner.com slash forum. And uh, I just want to thank everybody again for tuning in, listening, subscribing, however you do it. Thank you for joining me and uh, keeping this thing going and supporting the podcast. And uh, hopefully we will continue to have some good ones here and send in your, send in your thoughts, send in your questions, anything you want to talk about, let me know and we'll get it up on the show. And most of all, don't forget everybody's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high.